0: Good morning, welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, March 16th. I'm Nyla Budu. Here's how we're making you smarter today. What's behind European countries halting the AstraZeneca vaccine? Plus, coming back from maternity leave in a pandemic. But first, the Vatican's new decree on blessing same-sex unions is today's one big thing. The Vatican announced yesterday that Catholic priests will not bless same-sex unions, saying in part that, quote, God cannot bless sin. Given Pope Francis's welcoming stance, many Catholics are confused about what the church's stance is when it comes to the LGBTQ community. And the big question is, will Catholic priests abide by this decree? Christopher White is a national correspondent with the National Catholic Reporter and joins me now from New York. Good morning, Christopher.
1: Good morning. Great to be with you.
0: Why did the Vatican release this decree now?
1: This decree came from the Vatican's doctrinal office. The office is responding to a question that was posed by either an individual bishop or a group of bishops to clarify a certain specific theological question. So this is the Vatican's doctrinal office issuing a statement the pope has signed off of. And the decree is most likely in the real world related to what's known as a synod. And synods take place all around the world, but specifically right now there's one taking place in Germany. And the bishops of that country have signaled that the question of blessings of same-sex couples will be a live issue during this synod. In Germany, a number of the bishops have already said, we support blessing gay couples as a way of reaching out to them and letting them know that they're welcome in the church. And that's not a position that's uncommon when you talk to priests in many countries, particularly in the Western world.
0: What should we take away from this doctrinal office statement when it comes to Pope Francis?
1: Let's think back to 2013, The Advocate, the you know LGBTQ magazine, named Pope Francis as their person of the year. And we see continually over the past eight years that the Pope has been really terrific when it comes to reaching out to gay couples and saying all the right things. And he does want to foster an environment of inclusion toward them in the church. But often the Vatican's teaching and official policy doesn't line up with the Pope's personal message
0: based on where the priests are, depends on whether or not
1: they'll follow the Vatican on this? It's funny. Priests bless everything. They bless houses. They bless pets. They bless guns. You know, it, it's, it's pretty wild, the number of prayers that exist for blessings. So I think, sure, there are going to be a number of priests that privately offer these blessings. Uh, but the decree uh, from the Vatican now makes it clear that they do so without the Vatican's official approval.
0: Christopher White is a national correspondent with the National Catholic Reporter based in New York. Thanks, Christopher. Thanks, Sila. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the latest on the AstraZeneca vaccine. Families have a lot going on. Welcome back to Axios today. France, Germany, Italy, and Spain became the latest of a dozen countries that have suspended use of the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID vaccine. This comes as European regulators are investigating reports of blood clots, and the vaccine hasn't been approved yet in the US. Axios' world editor, Dave Lawler, is here to catch us up on the latest with the AstraZeneca vaccine. Dave, why are so many countries halting the use of this?
2: So this is tied to a relatively small number of adverse reactions that have been recorded. And as you mentioned, blood clots have been the primary concern. And so European leaders are saying this is a precautionary step. They want more advice from the European Medicines Agency, the sort of the EU's medical arm. At the same time, a lot of public health experts and even that public health arm itself has said there's no evidence to date that these blood clots are tied to the vaccine itself. Again, these are mainly older people who are getting the vaccine. You would expect, given that 17 million people in Europe have gotten this vaccine, a certain number would have adverse health effects anyways. And so the question is whether it was necessary to take this step, given that there's not much evidence yet that this is tied to the vaccinations.
0: And so what's happening with the U.S. and our approval We've got about 300 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine.
2: So right now they're sitting in warehouses. Well, the ones that have been produced are. It's been a very slow process here in the U.S. The trial was delayed for quite a while in the fall. There's been a back and forth between AstraZeneca and the FDA about the data. Now the data from the trial here has been submitted. An outside advisory group is reviewing the data. And the director of the National Institutes of Health said yesterday that we could get approval within a month if the data is all to their liking.
0: Dave, all of this comes as we're seeing a troubling increase in cases in Europe. What should we know about what's going on there?
2: Yeah, so the US and Europe were looking at these great numbers for quite a while at the same time. Cases were dropping here, cases were dropping there. They've continued to drop here, but unfortunately in Europe, things have slipped into reverse. Um, A lot of the same countries you listed as the ones shutting down the vaccines are also recording additional cases. So that's a concern, right? You're going to have slower vaccine distribution in these countries at the same time as you're seeing cases start to tick up.
0: Dave Lawler is Axios' world editor. So much of this past year has been hard for working moms, and that's especially true for women who had a baby during the pandemic and are now coming back to remote work. Axios's Kim Hart is one of those moms and has been writing about what this was like for her. Hi, Kim. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Kim, this was your third maternity leave. Did you think you had a handle on what coming back would look like? I really did. It was my third time coming back. And I knew I wasn't coming back to an office.
3: But I thought, well, I know how to juggle. I know how to compartmentalize my day and go home and do all the baby things. And this one was just way, way harder than I expected it to be. Why? It's just a really lonely time all around for moms. And I went from being very lonely in maternity leave where you couldn't see family, you couldn't lean on some of the social structures that I did in the past to kind of get me through maternity leave, which is a slog in itself. And then you're not coming to an office. Basically, my desk was where the bassinet had been just a few weeks before. And it was very hard for me to make a mental shift from my home duties to my work duties without them all being jumbled up into one big giant stress. Mass.
0: Kim, is this another factor when it comes to women leaving the workforce during the pandemic?
3: Absolutely. And especially for first-time moms, I mean, they're already dealing with this kind of identity crisis of who am I? Am I a mom? Am I a worker? How do I make both work? And if you are a mom like me with multiple kids at home, you're dealing with what I call like the childcare Tetris game of trying to cobble together as many options as you can to keep your kids supervised and occupied and on their virtual learning. Once you really step back and think, okay, how am I going to prioritize? What am I going to make work? A lot of families and a lot of moms are saying, What I have to prioritize are my kids. And if I'm not able to make it work with both work and my kids, then I'm going to have to step back from the workforce. And after so many years of trying to get more women into the ranks of management and leadership in companies, if a lot of women make the, the really difficult decision of saying, I have to downshift my career or I have to take a break altogether, it makes it really hard for them to get back into that pipeline, back on into that momentum to make it to the top and to climb in their careers at a time when a lot of companies really need that perspective of those women.
0: Axios's Kim Hart. Kim, thanks and congratulations. Thanks again. And one more piece of news for you before we go today. Last night, the U.S. Senate confirmed a new Secretary of the Interior. Usually, this position doesn't make headlines, but that's before Deb Holland. The New Mexico representative becomes the first Native American to lead a cabinet agency. As Interior Secretary, she'll oversee not just national parks and waterways, but also millions of acres of tribal lands. Holland is also expected to play a key role in President Biden's energy and climate agenda. And that's it for us today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or find me on Twitter. My handle is nyla Thanks so much to all of you who've taken the time to leave us a review or a star rating. That makes it so much easier for other people to find our podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.